Movie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fucking Movie Podcast. I'm Brian Matthew Ward and with me as always is Jared Peterson. And today we're going to uh, do something a little different than usual. Um, Our guest on this show, he uh, was in Rome and couldn't, you know... We couldn't schedule time to fit uh, Jared's schedule and his schedule. Rome, Italy? Rome, Italy. Italy, Rome. Rome, Italy. Hmm. Yes. And anyway, so long story short, I uh, recorded an interview with him. And uh, we're going to end up showing that interview. And uh, the interview is with uh, filmmaker David Wirth. Uh, He is the director of Kickboxer. And he is Cinematography. a cinematographer of a lot of things, including another Van Damme movie, uh, Bloodsport. And uh, anyway, this whole episode is going to be on Van Damme, but we're going to kick it off with my interview with David Worth, and then we'll get back into the rest of the Van Damme episode. All right, here's that interview. It's been a really long time since I've seen you. It's been 2012. <laughs> Yeah, I've been hanging in and hanging out. Yeah. I'm oh, actually in Rome now. I'm in Rome, Italy. I've been here for two months. I'm thinking of making it three. Okay. Uh, interesting. I've I've actually never been outside the country. Like I've always wow. been. Able to. Well, you owe yourself you owe yourself some some travel time, young man. Yeah, I I, I need to. I'm like home or getting close to forty and haven't been out of the country yet. So. Definitely need to. Not good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I gotta. I gotta make plans. Man. Yeah, I I, uh, I started trying to leave when I was in my thirties. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It happened. Uh, see, when I was in my forties, around nineteen eighty, I did. I finally started traveling. Went to mm-hmm. to uh, Stockholm, Sweden, and prepared a film. Then went to Rome. And directed a movie. Then I started going all over Hong Kong, Bangkok, Macau, Indonesia, Israel, South America, South Africa, Bulgaria, Romania, mm-hmm. just to name a few. Well, I mean, shoot, I, I, I need to get started. <laughs> yeah, I made movies in all those places too, so it's quite an experience. Um. Well, uh, David, I, I guess I'm going to start by uh, asking you um, what... What uh, sparked your interest in filmmaking? What got you started wanting to do that? It happened back in 1956. I was hanging around the house by myself and I turned on the old small black and white TV mm-hmm. and was clicking channels and, and I stopped on something. Something came on called Citizen Kane. Oh, I love that movie. And I stopped on it and I it was right at the beginning. I got hooked into it. I love the cinematography and the lighting and the and the way it was put together. It, I just got it and it changed my life because I was raised on on you know uh, uh, the Mickey Mouse Club and mm-hmm. uh, the the ABC, CBS, and NBC's w- westerns and whatever they had on television. To see Citizen Kane was a startling effect, and it started the spark in me mm-hmm. to want to make movies. But that's like the perfect movie to do it. I I absolutely love that movie. 
Yeah, a big Orson Welles fan. Yeah, me too. Um, so uh, typically the way we do this because I have a co-host too. Typically the way we do it is like we'll try to have the guests and we'll have like talk about you know certain movies or certain groups of movies. And I decided since you uh worked on two Jean Claude Van Damme movies, we'll do the thing about Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, since sure. he's not available right now, I'm doing the the part with you right now, and uh, I I guess um I I'll get you to talk about um yeah the the two Jean Claude Van Damme movies you're you were involved in and uh like explain what that whole process was like. Sure, I'd love to. Uh, I let's put it in kickboxer. I was doing second unit on a big film for Warner Brothers, a Steven Spielberg production mm-hmm. called Inner Space. I was doing the second cinematography on the second unit with the second great second unit director Glenn Randall, who had done the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. And I got a call to go for a meeting uh, to Canon Pictures, so I went over to Canon. Uh, somebody named Newt Arnold, who I didn't know about. Newt had been an assistant director with Sam Peckinpah and William Friedkin. And so uh, we hit it right off. And he knew I'd done two Clint Eastwood movies. Mm-hmm. So we hit it off. And I wanted to work with Newt. He wanted to work with me. And he may have even called Clint. And Clint said, yeah, he's good. Take him. So uh, that's how I got Bloodsport. And then I found myself on a, on a plane ride to uh, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. and doing that and it was it was fantastic it was a great film it was it was John claude van damme's first film so he was a new guy and i was new to martial arts but i knew mm-hmm. action having done two films with clinton i knew camera and i knew action and and so did uh newt arnold the mm-hmm. uh the director so uh the other thing that I brought to the table, having also done two films with Clint on the first one, Bronco Billy, I brought all, all the filmmaking knowledge that I gathered by studying Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day, I had been the cinematographer on a film called Death Game, mm-hmm. and later I took over the editing on it also. And I got, uh, by just the gods of production, happened to send me a box of fill leader. I I had called for some fill leader because I was building the soundtrack. And back in the day, you had to put each actor on a separate thousand foot reel, each actor's performance, mm-hmm. and fill the and then fill the in between spaces with fill leader, which were just old thirty five millimeter prints. So I got my box of fill leader when. Saturday, I went in to do this kind of grunt work with, when the office was closed. I had my box of fill leader and I opened the box. And what had the gods of production sent me? A 35 millimeter print of a clockwork orange. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, this isn't going to be fill leader. I called for another box of fill leader. And then I put Mr. Kubrick's work on the movieola, took my work off and started studying that film forward and back, forward and back all the scenes, and I was in fanboy heaven because I'd seen this film when it first came out. In fact, I have ticket number 0001 mm-hmm. from the first screening of that it, that uh, Clockwork Orange had on Hollywood Boulevard. So I loved the film, but when you, when you saw it back in the day, it was before there was VHS or DVDs. Yeah. You had to just see it in a screening room. You couldn't study it. Now I could study it. 
So I'm running it forward and back, forward and back on the moviola. I come to the scene where the where little Alex kills the cat lady with the sculpture of the giant phallus. And all of a sudden I hit the brake on the movie. I go, what the fuck? I start running that scene back, put it back slowly forward and back. I can see that Mr. Kubik is using like an 18 or a 16 millimeter mm -hmm. lens on his handheld Aeroflex camera and following the two actors around the room in 360 degrees. And I can see all four walls, the floor and the ceiling. And there were no movie lights, no movie lights. And this wasn't a Roger Corman film. This wasn't a student film. This was a Warner Brothers production of a Stanley Kubrick film that had been nominated for four Academy Awards. No movie lights, I couldn't believe it. So I started running the movie all the back slowly, pausing it where I could see the lights were. And then I discovered that what he'd done is he'd brought in several lighting sculptures. One was in the shape of a spiral, one was in the shape of a Christmas tree, and they had 150 watt bulbs in them. That mm -hmm. was it, somewhere in bunches. He plugged them into the wall sockets around the room and said, okay, we're let, let's shoot. This was an epiphany of epiphanies for me. This was a discovery of discoveries, a revelation of revelations for me. It changed my whole way of working as a cinematographer. That's what I brought to Clint Eastwood's film, Bronco Billy. I brought that knowledge and I built all the lighting into those sets the same way Mr. Kubrick had done it in A Clockwork Orange and in Dr. Strangelove and in 2001 A Space Odyssey, et cetera, et cetera. So as a result, Clint is a very efficient director. He's very fast and very efficient. He always comes in a couple of days ahead of schedule. On Bronco Billy, we didn't come in a couple of days ahead of schedule. We didn't come in one week ahead of schedule. We didn't come in two weeks ahead of schedule. We had an eight week shooting schedule. We came in in five and a half weeks, two and a half weeks wow. ahead of schedule. On my first big studio, Warner Brothers, my first big star, Clint Eastwood movie. So that saved the production about a million dollars. And Clint said to me, why don't you hang around? We're going to do another one in a few weeks. And that's how I got to do two Clint Eastwood films. So I digressed from Bloodsport because that same lighting that I had used to light the circus tent in Bronco Billy, when I went in and saw the area where we were going to do the fights in Bloodsport, I said, I've got to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I saw the beams up on the ceiling and I said, 1K, 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 1K. And I built all the lighting into the sets. And as a result, again, we were able to go very, move very quickly because Newt Arnold liked to work quickly. I like to work quickly. We had tons of fights to do. You remember Buzzball? Yeah. There was nothing wall-to-wall -wall martial arts. If I had had to move a light for every time I changed angles in that following finding martial arts fight, I'd still be there. So we were able to really move quickly. We did, we averaged 75 setups a day. I had a high of 93 one day and it was just an amazing time. Uh, we got all the work done in the Kumite, we got all the fights done. Uh, and uh, then it went to post-production. They put it all together, it came out and it was very successful. Bloodsport, mm -hmm. you know, launched Jean-Claude's career and then we did Kickboxer. And uh, how did you uh, come to be the director on Kickboxer? Like, 
Well, all during all during uh, the production of Bloodsport, I was saying to the producer, I was saying, knew it was doing a good job, but knew it was taking also a lot of time and doing a lot of shooting a lot of extra coverage, and we shot for forty five days just in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. The whole film was in Hong Kong, forty five days just in Hong Kong. I told him, I I, I can be more efficient, you know, I, I can be I can streamline this production. You should hire me as the director. Eventually, he had me come into the uh, into his office in Century City and prove to him that I should be the director. So I storyboarded the entire film, worked on the casting, et cetera, et cetera. And by the time I was ready to do a schedule, I discovered I could do the whole film in 35 or 36 days, which was cutting 10 days off of the time we'd spent on uh, Bloodsport. Mm-hmm. And in the final analysis, Newton it shot about 240,000 feet of film. On Kickbox, it only shot about 125,000 feet of film. So I, I knocked over 100,000 feet off of, off of the footage also. So um, I, was, I was very efficient and got it done. And uh, the rest is history. That, that is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, whenever I worked with you at the uh, Performing Arts Camp, I didn't realize who you were until after everything and i'm like oh my oh, man kickboxer is one of my favorite movies i wish i would have known that i was said something to you there <laughs> uh, yeah i've been happy to chat with you about it it's still it, we never thought it was going to do what it did with blood sweat and kickboxer on cable now every week i mean they are literally they they will not die they just were the little films that could those mm-hmm. films come those films combined the budgets together didn't cost five million dollars Wow. And, you know, you you can't even go to breakfast for five million dollars in Hollywood anymore. Everything's a yeah. hundred or two hundred million dollars. But our little films had really good reactions with the with the public, with everyone, and uh, they more than made up for for their small budgets and their in their longevity. So, uh, what was it like working with uh, Van Dam or directing him? Well, I, originally it was it was a little worrisome because I had done two films with Clint Eastwood, whose name is chiseled in granite in the uh, top leading men, top actor, top directing categories in Hollywood. And I had worked with him for a year, never heard Clint raise his voice. Yeah. Here's John Claude on Bloodsport screaming at the top of his fill, his lungs, "I'm the fucking star! I'm the fucking star!" I was like. What is this was wrong with this guy? So once I figured it out, it was okay. I discovered his, he was very highly strung like a racehorse because he was dieting. Yeah. He was dieting to keep that fantastic body yeah. cut. And uh, dieting and exercising and 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 doing everything he could to, to keep that look. So once I recognized that, I let all of his high strungness just roll off my back and I didn't pay attention to it. That it was a bit troubling at first. I thought, my, who is this kid? He doesn't, he's not even close to being including Eastwood and he's screaming yeah. at everybody. <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty funny. Um, like, uh, I, I, uh, I can't imagine the stress of having to keep that physique though. Like just all he'd have yeah, to that, go that's through. Right. That, that's a lot of stress and a lot of, he was like a racehorse. He was very highly strung. And he was just ready to explode in any minute because he was just on edge from all the dieting and the working out. But he's a really talented young man. He went far and I knew he would. 
was very happy to be there. I was the first guy I was there when he did his splits the first time on Bloodsport, when he showed his ass for the first time on Bloodsport. <laughs> uh, so he was, uh, I was, I remember all that very well. I was very happy to work with him. Um, yeah, I, I was actually talking to my co-host about how I love it, how in a uh, kickboxer, how extreme all the training is, you know, kicking the tree and like yes, coconuts yes. and all that. I'm like, you don't really see that sort of extreme sort of training in these movies, martial arts movies. And I, to me, that's like appealing just because it's like it, it feels uh, surreal, like more bigger than life, you know, watching that yes. sort of thing. That- that's one of my favorite scenes is the kicking the tree scene. That's me too. No, but you know, we that was all done with cuts and with editing and with he wasn't really hurting himself. But boy, it was that's a very effective scene. It makes you feel like he's really killed, killing him his leg. Yeah, it is really effective. Um and uh like I the the part with the uh the dog where he you know puts the meat in his uh pants and has him running yes, that yes. cracks me up so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's great. Um, so, um, uh, since since we are uh, doing this episode on Van Damme, is there any other of his movies that you're a big fan of that you weren't uh, involved with? Uh, I'm trying to think. I did Bloodsport Kickboxer, and he's done a lot after that. I, I saw yeah. all of them. I thought he did a, a wonderful job. I was happy to see him uh, in... Uh, I think it was um, what was that big the big series that still Expendables. Directed? Expendables. I was trying to see him in Expendables two or three, whichever it was. That I was playing the bad guy. I was happy that he got that kind of exposure. That yeah, was, that was great. I was very pleased for him. Yeah, I actually really thought he was great as the villain in that too. Like it, it it's kind of rare to see him as a villain, but I, I, I really thought he did a great job. Yeah, me too. Um, so, uh, I guess I, uh, am going to ask you, which, I mean, you've already told a couple, but do you have any interesting, uh, could be Van Damme or it could be any other celebrity you've worked with any interesting stories that you think would be interesting to tell that you can tell? Uh, well, you know, my, my interacting with the celebrities was mostly on the job. Mm-hmm. It was mostly, uh, uh, you know, either being hired as a cinematographer by Clint on on, uh, on Bronco Billy and then any which way you can, or then doing Bloodsport and Kickboxer, working with Dennis Hopper on uh, uh, Profits Game, et cetera, et cetera. All those films, uh, I was mostly uh, working technically as a cinematographer and editor, and I didn't have a lot of, I did not spend a lot of time with the actors, uh, but uh, I heard some stories here and there, and most of them I can't repeat. I gotcha, that's fair. Um, My co-host wanted to ask you uh, how you feel about directing martial arts. Like, I mean, I know you said you directed action prior, but like, what's your feeling of directing martial arts in general? Well, I love martial arts. Uh, I'm not a martial artist. I never studied martial arts, but I studied filmmaking and action, and I know how to cover it. The main thing with martial arts for me is to use three cameras. Okay. So you use one camera on a crane that's going to go up and down, take by take, that's going to see the 
the geography of where everyone is in the fight. You don't use that for any of the fighting because the actors aren't really hitting each other. They're just missing by a foot and pretending like they're being hit. So you don't use that camera for that. The other two cameras, A and B on the sides, one camera is following one actor, one camera is following the other actor. So you, no matter where the, the action goes, that they just stay with that actor. That gives you all the material you need to put the fight scene together. And that's how we that's how we covered blood sport and kickboxing. We just would we just worked our way through the fight, move by move. Mm -hmm. We cover it all three cameras wide, then coming tighter and do three cameras tight. Then I'd get handheld on the mat, and then we do the highlights in slow motion. So we had plenty of coverage for each fight to tell the story. That that's uh that works perfectly. I mean, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it worked for us. You know, everyone doesn't work that way. Jackie Chan just does everything from one angle. Mm -hmm. He uses, and then he then he just does all the moves, and then changes angles, and does all the moves, changes angles, does all the moves. Everyone has a different way of working. Samuel Hung works that way too. I like the I like the three camera coverage because then you make sure that you have all the pieces you need to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, I've never directed like a fight scene, but if I, I do in the future, I'll make sure to use that advice. The other important thing is to build all the lighting into the sets. Yes. This is what I learned from studying Mr. Kubrick. Build, find a way to build the lighting into the sets so you can have you can have it all ready to go and you can go either, you can shoot in any direction, 360 degrees and never have to worry about doing a relight. Relighting in Hollywood used to be a thing. And I've seen big time directors and big time cinematographers come to a halt when the director says, okay, we got all the coverage this way. I want to look the other way now. And the cinematographer says, okay, give me two hours to look the other way. Someone may have said that to Stanley Kubrick, but they, I'm sure he, he told them what's, where to put their two hours because he just always designed his sets that it could shoot any direction at any time. Yeah. And that's what I learned from studying Mr. Kubrick. I saw it in Dr. Strangelove. I saw it in 2001 mm -hmm. A Space Odyssey. I saw it in Barry Lyndon. And of course, I saw it in Clockwork Orange because I studied that film frame by frame. So I was thrilled that I was able to glean that knowledge from Mr. Kubrick. And it's the way we should all be working. It's the way independent films should mm -hmm. be made. And I also discovered that the, the, the heroes of this century, Emmanuel Lubinsky and uh, uh, Alfonso Caron worked exactly that way on Itumama Tambien mm -hmm. and also on his, his big uh, sci-fi film. Uh, What's it called? What was the big sci-fi film that they did? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm old. I, I don't have everything. I'm not I, certain I myself. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great film. Uh, it was with uh, uh, sorry, I can't recall it right now. But I was looking up on my phone, it. but I'm recording with the phone. So I no, can't it's look it's it right. up. No, no problem. <laughs> yeah, they they use it on a the very small film, Tambien, and then they're much bigger, huge Warner Brothers production that they did in London. They had all these big action scenes in it, but they were all done with 
lighting that was built into the sets or locations, which are available light, which is brilliant. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna like uh, listen to you say yeah. all this uh, for future stuff I work on. I'm gonna take all this into consideration. And also, Dallas Buyers Club and Wild, done mm -hmm. by that same director uh, and cinematographer team, brilliantly done in the same way. Mm -hmm. Same way. All the lighting was built into the sets. They could shoot in any direction at any time. Now, I don't know that they got it for Stanley Kubrick. They just may have discovered it on their own. But I yeah. got my from studying Mr. Kubrick. Um. I, I wanted to uh, mention because, like, you know, where I met you at was at the summer camp, like, uh, you know, so film camp, UCLA. yeah, film camp, yeah. And uh, I just want to mention how uh, great it is to do that sort of thing for for young kids, you know, because, like, I know me, I never had that sort of situation. So when I was there and seeing, you know, just how much all of that was helping those kids, that that just meant meant the world watching that to me which they're all adults now but to me they're still kids <laughs> yeah no well you know that was a part of what i'm very grateful for the ability to have the experience that i had on location doing all my hands on cinematography and directing and then to be able to uh uh do all those films to write my books on cinematography and directing mm -hmm. And to also then be able to mentor and pass on that knowledge to the next generation. That's what you got to do. Yeah, I, I think it's very important. And I, I think that, um, well, at least from my point of view, which I, I come from North Carolina, like not uh, the area in North Carolina I'm from, like nobody does films. <laughs> so like yeah, you sure. don't really have that. Well, now, you know, back in the last century, it was very expensive to do a film. You had to have trucks full of equipment. Uh, all kinds of lighting equipment, film equipment, dollies and all that. Now you have a drone and a high-def camera and a small wireless mic. You you can put that in your backpack. Yeah. And the, I just did a film like that in December called Borrowed Time 3. Mm -hmm. It's coming out. And it looks fantastic. And you never know that it was all done with available and practical light mm -hmm. with a drone and a 4K camera called the Black Magic. Oh yeah, fits in the palm I, of your hand. Something goes in your goes in your backpack, and you can do whole big movies like that now. I'm amazed by how good the video on a lot of cell phones are now. Like that's right. It's crazy to me. Like even whenever I was, uh, did you did you see kid, Tangerine? Did you see? I haven't seen it enough. Oh, you need to see this film. Oh, I, I will. It's old now. It was that's from 19 2015? It was mm -hmm. it came out. And Tangerine. Sean, Baker, Sean Baker's film Tangerine was shot with two iPhone 5s mm -hmm. with an anamorphic lens adapter stuck on them mm -hmm. and available natural locations and available or practical light in two weeks in Hollywood with transgender non-actors. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable film. I uh, put it right up there. I put it right up there on with, with all the great independent films that I've ever seen. Bicycle Thief, for, with uh, uh, De Sica, Breathless with Godard, uh, Shadows with Cassavetes, and Tangerine with Sean Baker. I put them all equally because he broke all, he broke them all by doing that on a cell phone. Absolutely fantastic. I, I have got to check that out. Um, man, it, and, it's, it's amazing. And, and Steven what... Soderbergh shoots all his films on his cell phone now. Mm -hmm. Steven Soderbergh, he's a big director who could do anything he wants. He shoots them on his cell phone. Well, 
I, I haven't done my first uh, full length yet, but I'm considering strongly shooting it on my my uh, cell phone. Uh, uh, I mean, because it, it shoots great video. Like, it's impressive. Yeah. Well, just look at Tangerine and realize that that whole film was shot on two, two iPhone 5s. It's a great film. And if that doesn't inspire you to use your cell phone, nothing mm-hmm. will. Yeah, I'm, I'm being bombarded by cats at the moment. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see. That's, that's good. I like kitty cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's a bunch around here <laughs> um cool. yeah um well i'm not gonna take up too too much of your time i know we already started way later than we were supposed to <laughs> but i, I really appreciate you doing this and I, i'm happy happy to chat with you anytime and i also want to say to you um like it means a lot to me uh like whenever i was working on that film that i was acting in the uh uh, one about slavery, like the words of encouragement you sent me, like that means means the world to me. I'm happy to mentor, help out, chat anytime you want. Just give me a call. If I'm busy, you can we can just set up a time to do it. Not a problem. Just like this. If it doesn't work at two o'clock, it'll work at four o'clock. No problem. And I would love to have you on another one. Like maybe, uh, maybe we can do something where we could talk about. Uh, you know, either one or many of Kubrick's films since you brought up Kubrick so much. Yeah, sure. And uh, thank you again. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap up this uh, video. If you want to chat a little bit after that's, that's cool. Um, so, uh, but I uh, think, thank you again. All right. So uh, Jared, uh, you ready to get started on some Van Damme? Some Van Damage? Yeah, let's get this Van Damage, the the fucking Van Damage going. Well, I mean, sure. Uh, I know you haven't seen this one, but uh, I'm going to give a brief summary of it. Uh, So it's kind of a Karate Kid type movie about this uh, kid who um, basically ends up going up against Van Damme at the end of the movie. And Van Damme's playing a Russian villain who really doesn't have much of a character he's like basically the muscle of this uh guy that's trying to take over all these karate schools like i don't quite understand this but i mean it hits the same beats of karate kid like um where the guy you know he's got bullies from a karate school bullying him and then there's a tournament except the main guy doesn't enter the tournament he goes to the tournament to spectate then Van Damme, like, crashes the tournament and then beats up the entire school of bullies. So it's like if, you know, you had Cobra Kai just get annihilated by Van Damme and then Daniel has to fight Van Damme. Well, he's just a spectator. He may as well just sit there because Cobra yeah. Kai gets taken out. But uh, either way, this uh, this is a very interesting movie if you've never seen it. I actually really enjoyed it a lot. Um, and... Uh, it's kind of weird because the mentor character is the ghost of Bruce Lee. I highly recommend you guys to check that out if you've never seen No Retreat, No Surrender. Um, very 80s movie. Very 80s. Um, but let's uh, let's move on into Bloodsport. Some, yeah, something I've seen. <laughs> yeah, let's, <laughs> let's move into Bloodsport. So Bloodsport, I, I guess this would be the first really... His starring movie. role, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, of course, you know, we just had that interview with David Worth, who was cinematographer on that. And uh, 
Bloodsport is yeah. one of my favorite movies. I mean, not just uh, Van Damme movies. It's just one of my favorite you know, movies, martial arts movies in general. Has, uh can't remember his name. Bolo? O- Ogre, Ogre from, oh, uh, yeah. from Revenge of the Nerds. It has Bolo. Yeah, Bolo. Okay, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Um, actually, that might be the first movie I've ever seen remember seeing Forrest Whitaker in. Yeah, because once you see Forrest Whitaker, you don't forget him. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, he, I mean, he, even with this being such a small role, it was very memorable. I mean, like, so especially you go back and watch it, and you're like, that's Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, David talking about, uh, Van Damme liking, or he was there when Van Damme first showed his ass. and <laughs> In more ways than one, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he was, uh, you know, saying, you know, him. Well, they heard the interview. Him, yeah, well, you know, you, you heard it, you heard it. But, uh, uh, it's, it's, I, um, it's the Mortal Kombat movie if, uh, Mortal Kombat had all the, like, magic and weirdness taken out of it. Yeah. That's that's true. It it does have a very Mortal Kombat vibe. Um, I actually think it would be fun to briefly touch on uh, the real Frank Dukes for just a second. Oh my god! Like I, because like I think it's so funny that this serious martial arts is movie is made about a guy's bullshit story that he made up. He's basically the martial arts version of, of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah, he's. And I, I, I know we're going to offend a bunch of people who really believe that, but they're frauds. What? Frank Dukes? Oh, no, I was talking about Lorraine Warren. Oh. Uh, nobody, nobody's going to get mad about Frank Dukes. He's definitely a fraud. Is he dead? I don't know. If he's not, he might come at us with fake martial arts. Well, I know real martial arts, so I don't really fear that. Yeah, I wonder if he's teaching like his uh, Dukes Ryu in like, some mall somewhere. <laughs> who knows? Um, the the man who Bloodsport was based on the guy the guy told all these ridiculous stories, um, like about being like CIA operative, all this other stuff, um, like mentioned his sensei who there's no record of existing. Yeah, look up Frank Dukes. Yeah, we're not gonna do a whole episode on Frank Dukes, but look him up. That dude is something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, blood sport though. Um, that's, it's my favorite Van Damme movie because I think it's so simple. Mm-hmm. It's definitely it's, up there. It's, it's, uh, it's like man enters karate tournament, man fights. Yeah. And that's about it. Uh, other than, you know, the subplot <laughs> of, uh, Forrest Whitaker trying to bring him back in because he's going to And they, they had, uh, <clears throat> of course, being the eighties has... A great 80s montage, which is them chasing him. And I, I love it. I, lo- I love 80s montages anytime I can get them. Yeah, I, I love the fact this movie has Ogre in it. Yeah. <laughs> he's a... Uh... Oh, I cannot remember and he's, his name. I can't remember it either, but he's not playing the bad guy character. He's playing a very likable guy. He, he's veer in human form. Yeah. <laughs> He's literally, you expect this guy to be able to, like, you know, he was probably hatched now, out of a keg. Here, here's my question that I always think every time I watch this, what is his martial arts style? Being I, a big man. That's his I martial mean, arts. I don't even think he, he does boxing. I think he he's just a, 
a brute. That's yeah, that's that's it. He he was hatched out of a cage. And he got invited. He's such such a brute that he got invited to this best of the best martial arts tournament. Now, thinking about that, we're supposed to be really appalled when Bolo kills a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's obvious that Jackson has, you know, if, if he got his notoriety up of like bar brawls or beating people up in an alley, he's probably killed a fair number of people. I doubt he has. I think he just injured them really good and then bought them beers. He seems like the size of him. Yeah, he he's, would... he's he's big. He knocks them out. They got a bloody nose. And everything. He's They're certainly like paralyzing some on people. the ground, and he's like, "Come on, I'll get you a beer." And he's probably causing aneurysms. And then he and... calls them nerds. Nerds. That's a different movie. Oh, my bad. Everybody's a nerd to Jackson. <laughs> Jackson's great. I love Jackson. Um, got the. Uh, I cannot remember her name either. Like, I'm sorry. I'm so bad with people's You're names. Taking a woman. Yeah. Huh. Woman. Is that her character? I woman? don't know. <laughs> but they, the reporter character. They're all reporters. Um, but like, I feel like her character is. I mean, like mostly unnecessary in the movie like i guess it she's there so that some of the rules can be explained a little bit extra because i'm like why is the character even there i mean like because even the love scenes just brief and pointless like it's that's like so if you're saying that she's the there for the for the eye candy like i don't think that's even the case no no jean-claude is the eye candy for yeah jean-claude's yeah but, but but is it just so that they have a woman for him to hook up with is that that it you need to know that frank dukes is a heterosexual yeah okay that's that's it <laughs> all right i guess that works <laughs> anyway who cares about that character um, because uh, we have bolo yeah and i love i love uh that bolo so cheap he like breaks up i i guess it was i don't know was it an aspirin or something i don't know he breaks it up and then just like salt the salt pow- tablet whatever was- it is he, he just throws powder in john claude van damme's face and John claude Van Damme made sure to keep his eyes open long enough for all of it to blind him. He was playing fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that was the plot at all, but he got blinded and then, you know, he thought back to his martial arts training, you know, and and fooled the crap out of Bolo's, like, thought that he was blinded. And who would have known, you know, under all that muscle, or that would be the place to hit him. Where his organs are. Well, no, I mean, like, look at how how thick the muscle is in that area and i'm like you're telling me that you're gonna hit this guy in this wall of muscle and that's the weak spot like i i because it's mean, like hit him in his gut he's he's soft in the gut i'm like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah i mean it's not so weak spots i mean it doesn't have any like, bolo is just a action. wall of muscle yeah he lets you know that too yeah. but i mean it's like real weak spots aren't like exposed like floating eyes on your shoulder or a, a flashing point in your head Sometimes it's just your liver. I would have been like, hit him in his throat. If he can't breathe, he can't fight. I was kick him in the groin. I mean, you can burn I, people I, in the kumite. As someone has been in a few fights, you think they would have booed him? I think that kicking in the groin is a very ineffective tactic. That's my own personal opinion. Oh no, no, somebody who's I been hit in the groin does, is very effective. No, I mean, like, I think all it does is piss people off, and then they fight even harder. Like, I don't know. That's that's my opinion. My own martial arts advice, do not hit people in the groin. It doesn't work the way you think it does because there's a thing called adrenaline. Adrenaline makes you feel nothing. You feel absolutely nothing until the fight's over. So this raging madman's going to be, like, even angrier. Even ragier. Yeah. So I'm like, 
ineffective in my opinion. This has been a martial arts spot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, my advice is to hit him in the groin. My advice, hit him in the eyes, hit him in the throat. But, yeah. Right. Uh, blood sport. Um, I said it was simple. It, it is, I think, the most pure of the Van Damme movies. Like, mm-hmm. there's no really... Aside from the, the Forrest Whitaker, you went AWOL sub, subplot, I mean, mm-hmm. there's really no... There's no distractions from the main plot, which is yeah. Frank Dukes has to win the Kumite. He could die in it. Yeah, and and like the the whole plot being basically that his sensei's son died, so now he has to to take his place in the tournament. I'm like, like the movie presents it in such a way that this is some honorable thing that he's doing, but part of me thinks Frank. If this really happened, which it didn't. It didn't, so... But, like, <laughs> fictional Frank Dukes probably got super excited. He's like, yes, now yeah. I can enter this tournament. I wonder if Frank Dukes has that accent. No, because Frank Dukes... Uh, is he, I'm assuming he's American. But at the interviews I've seen, he seems to have an American accent. Oh. Yeah. Um, Or that's what it seemed like to me. I don't know. I really don't read that far into it because, I mean, I stopped <clears throat> at fraud. But... <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, was this the first Van Damme movie you ever saw? Um, I saw a bunch of them around the same time, so it's hard for me to remember because, like, I saw Bloodsport, Cyborg, Kickboxer, all around the same time. So I don't yeah, know which I th- one I actually saw first. I think, uh, I think that's that was my general experience too. Was like Van Damme had been around for a little while enough to like mm-hmm. kind of uh, have a bit of a filmography so yeah. my parents were heavy video renters and i guess they heard word of mouth this van damme guy uh well you said that makes it sound like they're alcoholics but like the video they were they're heavy video renters. heavy heavy video renters yeah they, they, they watch videos all the time oh god i need another video hiding hiding videos and in, in plastic bags in the tank of the toilet yeah. you know just for a rainy day <laughs> oh no it's double impact it's straight from under, you know, under the mattress. Um, yeah, I think I saw it during that glut. Probably around the mm-hmm. same time I saw Kickboxer and maybe another one or two of those early ones. Yeah. Or at least the early ones that he starred in. Uh, and of, of that bunch, I mean, I, Kickboxer stood out. Well, Kickboxer... But Bloodsport was, was my favorite of that bunch. So, Bloodsport, Kickboxer, and Cyborg are my favorites. Uh, Kickboxer, I feel like, has a bit more personal, like, I don't know, I guess I just watched that at the right time in my life, and it's the one I quote the most. I mean, that and Cyborg, I quote Cyborg quite a lot, too, but I never quote Van Damme and Cyborg, whereas I quote Van Damme and Kickboxer. Cyborg, I'm quoting Fender. Um, we'll get to Fender. Yeah. Do, do we want to go ahead and jump into uh, Kickboxer then? Um, yeah, you're gonna have a lot more to say because I haven't seen Kickboxer in a long time. All right. I remember Kickboxer basically having somewhere between the plot of Karate Kid and Rocky IV. Um, I remember was it Tong Po is yeah. the villain. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, I remember kicking the tree. Yeah. Being forced to do the splits with the ropes. Yeah. And I remember the, uh, the, the glass on the, the yeah. hand wraps at the end. So, Kickboxer... Yes, I, I get I get the um, the uh, Rocky Four sort of reference because you know it's almost like 
Apollo Creed dying and then Rocky having the yeah, but it's like his brother getting injured, like severely injured. Now he has to train to fight Tong Po. But uh, one of the more interesting facts about Kickboxer to me about how the movie is, is that it kind of blends some genres. It's not just strict martial arts. It's got like hints of like almost like. Uh, pure 80s, like, I would say, like, canon film action, like, you know, like some stuff you would see in a Chuck Norris movie back then or something, along with this strict martial arts stuff. And then you got this underground crime stuff going on with Tong Po's organization, or whoever the people in charge of Tong Po are. You got all this going and blending into this strict martial arts movie. Um, which I, I, I find very interesting because I love movies that kind of blend genres. Like, I I don't know why. I just love it. Like uh, musical comedies. Or like uh, The Majorettes, which is... Oh, yeah. A, no, 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 no. Don't mention The Majorettes. Well, I mentioned, we can do an la uh, episode oh, okay. later, but like it, it's a mixed genre. It's Yeah, we'll, we'll just leave it at that because I, yeah. I really want to do The Majorettes later. But uh, anyway... Uh, um. The training montage, or, or not montage, but the training uh, that he goes through in the movie is very interesting to me. Like, I I just think it's fun because it's more extreme. Like, extreme on the level of what you see in, like, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. Like, just ridiculous training. Like, you didn't see that, of that level in Bloodsport. Like, uh... You no, Frank get, Dukes was already trained. Well, no, they had the the flashbacks all through his training. Oh yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, it's yeah. All, all all the flashbacks uh, to his training. But his training was, I don't want to say completely traditional, but way more traditional than what we got in this, which is kicking and breaking a damn palm tree with your shin or dropping a coconut on your abs from high up in the air. Getting chased by a dog that might attack you if it catches you because you got meat on your leg, um, like that stuff is is a lot of fun to me. Like, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add other than um, this the, was the one that cemented for me that with Van Dam, and if you're not aware, Van Dam is uh, from Brussels, Belgium. The, the muscles, muscles from Brussels. Yeah, apparently everybody else there is like a pencil neck geek. So yeah. Um, but I think this is, is the first inkling that we're just going to go with the whole Arnold theory that everybody else in the movie is hearing an American accent coming from this guy. Yeah, probably. Um, cause even his brother, his had, brother is clearly no, actually, weird. I think that there was a mentioning that, uh, in the movie, if I remember right, that, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character was raised by the mom and the other character was raised by the dad. So I'm assuming that his mom must be like Belgian. Or French. Or French. So, somewhere with an accent. Yeah. Um, the villain in this movie, Tong Po, like, I think is, again, like his reference to Rocky Four. he's a ridiculous villain on the level of, like, the way the Russian was presented in in uh, Rocky Four as just this almost, like, more than human thing. Because, like, your first introduction to him is him kicking this cement slab and just... You see in, like, dust coming from the ceiling every time he hits it, and it's just, like, he's a machine, is the way it feels. And a criminal. Yeah, and a criminal. 
And he's a rapist. He's a rapist, too. Because yeah. he <clears throat> rapes... Uh, well, that is a crime, so it is, just goes with yeah, criminal. It goes with the criminal. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, got, you got anything else about the kickboxer? Oh, um... I was just thinking about something a minute. Oh, the the uh, drunken dance thing where he, uh, where uh, Zian takes him to uh, to this place, gets him drunk, and has him dancing with these these girls, and then he goes around telling all these guys that he's uh, that he uh, was talking about their mothers and said that their mothers has sex with mules, so they would go and fight them, and then he's drunk off his ass and having to fight them drunk. Like that scene is so entertaining to me. All right, so that's I, I really have very little to add about kickboxing. Um, and we're not necessarily going to go in exact order. We're going to try to have a loose order. So if we're off, you know, and we're not going to do every single Jean Claude Van Damme movie because there's a lot, but we're we're going to go through it. Um, stop! I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to get get this in order. At um, least close to it because I think the next one we should talk about is not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Hold on. Not that one. Not that one. Cyborg! Oh, I was actually wanting to mention Lionheart. Did you just skip right through it? Lionheart's, uh... Or is it after? Oh, okay. It's after. I gotcha. Okay, so, uh... So, Cyborg, which... It's tough for me, but I want to say even more than Kickboxer, which both of them are almost equal for me, but I want to say, because this is a cyberpunk movie, this might be the one that is my personal favorite of his and the story behind Cy how cyborg came to be is like one of the <laughs> most interesting stories in filmmaking history because it was it was they were canon, making canon films they were going to do a sequel to masters of the universe the and they were movie. also uh was a sets built for a spider-man movie that never came to be so they utilize both the sets for that and uh masters universe sequel and it's like well we got all this stuff that we spent money on but we ain't got a movie let's just throw something together and it feels like it and but to be so good as something that just got thrown together yeah it it, it is um it, it's kind of one of those i don't know it must have been a script just kind of floating around or if they just threw something in it together, but it's like for a movie called Cyborg, the Cyborg herself, spoilers, Van Damme's not the Cyborg. Yeah, um, has very little. She's to do the with MacGuffin. The plot. She's, She's yeah, the MacGuffin. It really, it could have been anything. Yeah. Um, and the uh, I just want to mention this because every time I watch this movie, I think this that girl that tags along with Van Damme. Should have been is, the cyborg? No, she's completely pointless. Like, I don't... I mean, aside from to have a brief scene of nudity and to have somebody for Van Damme to occasionally talk to, the character is completely pointless and serves no purpose. I think you explained pretty succinctly why the character's there. Um, and if I remember right, she gets killed she does. unceremoniously at the end. Very unceremoniously. Uh, and even, even his... Uh, girlfriend or girlfriend from his flashback his girlfriend from his flashbacks daughter who is also a sort of MacGuffin for this movie like her character isn't really fleshed out and 
and like I'm like that character being the girl with them would have made more sense if he would have somehow got her back from them or something. I don't know. Which I mean, I know that part of the reason why he was going was to get her back, but like it that that whole thing needed to be ironed out somehow. I don't know. Okay, so we're gonna mention oh. that the characters in the movie are all named after instruments, musical instruments. Yeah, uh, Van Damme's character is Gibson Rickenbacker. Uh, there's a character named Marshall Strat. My favorite character is Fender. Fender Tremolo. Yeah. Um, I know uh, there's Pearl Prophet, mm -hmm. which, which Pearl is the, Drums. Uh, that's the uh, uh, cyborg, Pearl Prophet. Yeah. And then uh, the main character of the movie... Fender, you know, I already mentioned him, but uh, he's probably the most, yeah, the most uh, remarkable thing about the movie. <laughs> and the character reminds me, and I, I'm not sure if this predated or came after uh, Dark Knight Returns, but he reminds me a lot of the mutant gang leader. Yeah, I mean, th this is after, so whoever was writing it may have been like yeah, yeah. He, he speaks in although very, I, uh, I like him better than the mutant gang leader to be honest but yeah well he's got something weird with his eyes he, he speaks in kind of this uh almost future caveman speak yeah uh i like this world i like this world yeah i i i, I love that character so much it's like i mean he may as well be saying it's like i love evil and uh van damme i i I like that he has the the blades that come out of his shoes or boots or whatever they are. Um, got his uh, little shotgun thing that he shoots people with. That's what shotguns do. Yeah. <laughs> he gets crucified in the movie, which is an interesting scene. Yeah. Uh, honestly, this was... Um, I think Van Damme had, for a guy that started a movie, had very little to do other than be physical. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, that that is that that type of character. Like the character he's playing, isn't somebody that talks a lot. And like, I don't think that it would work being a character that does. Yeah, and which I mean, kind of answers like, why is the girl there? Because yeah, but I'm watching somebody flesh her out somehow. Yeah. Make her like well, they did. No, no, I didn't <laughs> say take out her flesh. I said flesh her out. Oh well, yeah, I guess they could have done that too. But, yeah, I mean, this was Van Damme early on, and depending, no matter what you feel about him now, which, I mean, he really has become a pretty good actor. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give him all the credit in the world for actually putting in work yeah. to, to do that, but early in his career, Jean-Claude Van Damme, I think serviceable for action movies is about the best way well, to handle it. I, would say I will say this. He has, like, this uh, screen presence yeah. that that is amazing. And, like, Bolo Young compared him to, to Bruce Lee. He said he said that Bruce Lee had it, Van Damme had it, and he's like, who had it after? No one. It's basically yeah, what I mean, he said it. That, that's, I think, what... More so than anything else is Van Damme's screen presence is what pretty much catapulted him. Yeah. Um, beyond, like, I guess somebody like Chuck Norris. Mm -hmm. Who, you know, legit martial artist, but, I mean, no matter how you feel about Chuck, he's not the, and I think the Van most Damme's magnetic a, screen presence. I think Van Damme's a better actor than him all around, too. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I wouldn't argue against that in any way. Not a better martial artist, but a better actor. Um, the, um, I, I guess we could talk about, um, briefly the fact that, um, Cyborg was filmed semi-locally to here in Wilmington. Yeah, uh, and we're from North Carolina, so, yeah, Wilmington, North Carolina. So anything gets filmed here, we're like, wow, it got filmed here. Yeah, it's like, good job, North Carolina. You got Cyborg and Silver yeah. Bullet and, and a whole bunch of other 80s stuff. Um, but this was his first foray into um, science fiction. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I, I can imagine his agent was like, well, that's been lucrative for Arnold. Yeah. Um, you know, Terminator and all that. I think this was the same year as Total Recall. So. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really, God, I, mean, I hate to kind of like backhand it, is uh, um, it's really simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's basically a foot journey. Walking from one place to another, fighting yeah. some guys, walking some more, and fighting. like just just the designs of the characters is neat. Which I mean, it has that cyberpunk, but uh, aesthetic. But it's like a very specific cyberpunk. That's like post. I, I want to say grunge. Like I want to use the word grunge. Grunge. Yeah. Grunge cyberpunk. I don't know if that's an actual thing, but that's what I want to say. It's a grungy cyberpunk. It is. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, like I say, this is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, I think, I think we've said most of what we can say about that movie yeah, I mean, like that's without just telling everything about the movie. Um, but, uh, you haven't seen Lionheart. No, um, I have not. I, I, saw did, some clips I, I sent him, something. I sent him the, uh, three major fight scenes for him to look at. Uh, Lionheart is a movie where basically he uh was a legionnaire and he's like oh, right back pretty much abandons his uh post in order to uh uh go help his brother's wife and daughter after his brother dies and he en- ends up uh entering into underground fighting uh to make money to help them out and I find this movie very interesting, and I'm going to mention it again when Jared gets back, uh, because I think this movie is more of a Street Fighter movie than the movie Street Fighter actually turned out to be. Like, uh, there's a lot of scenes, uh, like especially the scene where he's fighting surrounded by cars, that just feels like it belonged in a Street Fighter movie. Like, uh, like it reminded me of Bal- Balrog's stage uh, in it, and uh, yeah, Jared, I was just talking about how this movie feels more like a Street Fighter movie than actual Street Fighter did. Wow, it would be awesome if Van Damme made a Street Fighter movie. Yeah, um, it would have been perfect. Sure, uh, but yeah, uh, Lionheart is also a very, very good uh, movie in that that regard. Um, uh, but I, I let's go ahead and skip ahead. Uh, we'll go to uh, Time Cop, I guess. Well, no, 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 no. We're skipping over some stuff because this is uh, this well, is that transitional phase where we go from Van Damme as I guess the VHS king. 
Because, I mean, like, his stuff was, like, heavily rented. And kind of parlaying that into actual, like, you know, theatrical movie star status. But what are we skipping over that's important? Like, uh, I don't want to mention every single movie. Universal again. Soldier? Oh, was that before? Uh, yeah. I, mean, I thought it was after. Let me get my timeline up. Uh, but oh, what if, we're talking if, about... Well, if we're skipping over Universal Soldier, never mind, because we got to talk about Universal Soldier. Well, give me a second. Um, but, I mean, it all falls into that... I guess what we call the sci-fi-esque Van Damme period, where he went from being uh, not really a cult star, but I mean definitely the guy whose movies got rented a lot, mm -hmm. to um, yeah, it's before to actual you know movie star like big time, um, and I guess in between actually. That, we, we could probably briefly, uh, like, I don't think there's no real reason to talk about Death Warrant, but just mention Double Impact, not go into detail with it, but there's two Van Dams. Double the Van Dam. Double the Van Dam. Van Dam playing twins. For the first time. For the first time, because he did it several more times. Now yes. let's go to Universal Soldier, because... Okay. so Universal Soldier <laughs> was the first one I remember being, like, you know, commercials during, like, sports mm -hmm. and wrestling, like, you know, Universal Soldier, um... Rather than you discovering this movie in the video store, this is like, you know, coming soon kind of thing. It actually had promotion behind it, the trailers, it had a budget behind it, and it actually has a plot behind it. Mm -hmm. um, Universal Soldier, um, I think, was kind of an attempt to uh, put Van Damme in that Arnold level. Mm-hmm. It gave him a plot to work with, and it was a high concept, uh, you know, essentially undead super soldiers mm -hmm. to, to run with. Uh, broad appeal. Dolph Lundgren is in it. He's the villain. He's really great. Yeah, I, I actually think he's, like, the MVP of the movie. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's... I, I, I His really character like reminds me a little bit of uh, of the character from the movie House, uh, the you know the the bad. Guy oh yeah, because they have a very similar vibe about them. Yeah, very like unhinged Vietnam yeah. maniac. Uh, this was I don't know if it was the first team up between uh, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, but mm -hmm. we can thank or blame this movie for for independence day a few years later because mm -hmm. it, it was it was mildly successful at the box office enough to actually a few years later spawn an attempted franchise uh there were some direct-to-video sequels and then a theatrical reboot sequel it was it's weird and messed up but yeah um i enjoy this movie quite a bit uh van damme um, I think famously has the, the fight sequence where he's eating the whole time mm -hmm. um, because his character hasn't eaten food in at that point yeah. like 20 something years and I also remember um, ice being a thing like they lay in ice whenever they're healing yeah that, that keeps them uh, fresh yeah and uh, keeps them undead so this was the first salvo and the uh make van damme a star sweepstakes and that was followed up by I, I nowhere to run which is kind of i've seen that one i've seen it but i cannot remember a thing it's about a very it. meat and potatoes action movie but it's very much 
I want to say, even then, I felt like, oh, this is being aimed at women. Yeah. Um, it co-stars one of the Arquettes, Rosanna Arquette, of, of Toto song fame, and Kieran Culkin of the Culkin fame. Yes. Um, but it it's essentially, it's a small scale kind of like family being terrorized and He's like a drifter that helps them out. So, it's a Van Damme's picture, his profile picture on uh, a profile picture. His main picture on IMDb is him with a it, mullet. It, it's it's from Hard Target, uh, which is the next one in this whole thing. Hard Target, and let's not forget he had a brief cameo in Last Action Hero eh, as himself, as which himself, would, which would be the first time he plays himself and not the last time. Yeah, um, so. Hard Target. How many times have you seen Hard Target? Probably once. Really? It's it's insanely, stupidly fantastic. I need uh, to give it another watch. This was John Woo's uh, first American film. They say Hollywood, but it's it doesn't feel very Hollywood. Mm. It doesn't feel like a Hong Kong John Woo movie either. Uh, a lot of the the weird kind of uh, fireworks looking explosions are in it, but this was another Van Damme vehicle like that was meant to launch him. I guess, I guess the hope was that John Woo would be to Van Damme what Jim Cameron was to Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm going to keep mentioning Arnold probably a lot because I think he's the most comparable to what Van Damme what what was trying to be done with him. Yeah. Um, foreign action star, you know, you know, lots of muscles, you know, accent that we ignore most of the time, except for Hard Target, which I think was the first movie where they really, really tried to explain away that accent by making him Cajun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also got the amusing side of Wilford Brimley as a Cajun, mm-hmm. uh, which is just the weirdest thing uh, I've heard actual Cajuns and that's not it Hard mm-hmm. uh, Target is God, it's such an anomaly because John Woo uh, he would find a modicum of success in the US uh, he'd do Face Off a few years after this which is a lot better than Hard Target but just the idea of Van Damme as a Cajun, essentially playing Gambit from the X Men, uh, in a John Woo film in Louisiana is it, it's worth seeking out. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's I'm it's, definitely gonna give it another watch, just for how nuts it is. So Time Cop, Time Cop, which is another sci-fi movie and it's actually we rewatched this the other night and it's holds up fairly well other than being uh like i'm always going to be bitching about time travel movies because basically science tells us enough that we know that the way time travel in this works is if time travel happens isn't going to be like that because there's pretty much two options option one you know, somebody goes to the past, 
they were always in the past. They that always happened. That was always part of the past, and they can't change nothing. Or option two, they go to the past, create a split timeline. And uh, and I myself don't care because it's a time travel movie starring Jean Claude Van Damme. I mean, my I expectations for science are pretty low at that point. I get it, but like it bugs me. I mean, you could actually uh, park Jean Claude Van Damme in the middle of an actual classroom at like Johns Hopkins University, and I'd immediately no longer care about the science that's going on there. Because, I mean, not saying he's a meathead, no. but he's a meathead. Um, <laughs> but it, all of that that aside, like that movie is really good and still holds up to the day. It's got good movie. action. Um, He's actually giving a performance. Mm -hmm. Not saying... I mean, you could see that in Universal Soldier. You could see it a little bit in Hard Target. Um, but you could see it in Time Cop. He's giving mm -hmm. a performance. Um, we've got, you know... Oh God, I don't want to say, like, professional actors, but, like, uh, actors that weren't past their sell-by date or before mm -hmm. their stardom. Like, I mean, the supporting cast is uh, Mia Sara. Which I, I made was mentioned when we were watching it. It's like, it feels like she's underutilized because she's only at the beginning and the end of yeah, the movie. Yeah, but I mean, it's not a long movie, so. Uh, Ron Silver uh, as the villain is great. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really uh, underrated actor who died fairly young, too. Mm -hmm. uh, a great villain in this, and it really plays to... I think up to this point, I think was the best Van Damme, not Van Damme movie, but like best movie he was in. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like critically beloved, but I mean, he's given an actual performance. His, you know, the physicality is still there. Yeah. Um, it's fun. I mean, there's parts of it that are completely nonsensical, but you know, you pick any action sci-fi movie apart and they're going to come up with a ton of those. But, um, I won't say it's not flawed, yeah. but you can easily look past those. Um, I, I would say it, it, it slides in on this side of actually good and not good for just, you know, a Van Damme movie. And I keep mentioning, like, the meat and potatoes action. I'm looking through IMDb, like, on my so phone here. I'm thinking about it. If, if uh, Cyborg was his total recall, then this is his demolition man. Yeah. Yeah, he's dressed as a cop. Well, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying it's that. Them trying to do the same thing, but with him, which I don't know if Demolition Man came before or after, but like it's the same vibe. You I can, actually think Demolition Man may have came after. You can tell the difference. Uh, what I was saying is if you look on IMDb and you look at the poster images for Van Damme, um, on like his, when I say meat and potatoes action movies, talking about like, Kickboxer, Lionheart, Death Warrant, Double Impact. They all have his name bigger than the title. Uh -huh. Or at least the same size. Uh, you get to the more mainstream stuff. The title is the thing. Uh, Universal Soldier, Nowhere to Run. Um, hard Targets, you know, arguable. Time Cop, you know, the title's yeah. bigger than him. Um, Street Fighter. I, Street Fighter as well. Um which you could probably say because that was based on the property, but I think it was the idea that whereas before he was in lower budget movies where he was the draw, mm -hmm. he was supposed to be adding to these movies. And I think 
I don't know if he does that. Universal Soldier and Hard Target, he can be distracting, but I think he actually adds to Time Cop. Um, I don't think at the time there would have been another action star that really would have fit in because I mean, the martial arts are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's given a decent performance. You know, Whitey didn't give a great decent performance in. Street Fighter. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know what gave a great decent Raul Julian. No, 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 no. Cocaine. Cocaine gave oh, a yeah. great performance well, in uh, Street Fighter. Cocaine. Uh, but bro- yes, Raul Julia. Yes. Raul Julia is like freaking amazing in that movie. Raul, Raul Julia was on chemotherapy. It's a hell of a drug. Uh, yeah. If you haven't seen Street Fighter, and if you don't know what Street Fighter is, um, you were mentioning Street Fighter earlier, weren't you? Yeah. Okay. Well, to anybody that doesn't know, Street Fighter is a fighting game franchise. It's a video game. Uh, Street Fighter, even though there's no number at the end of it, is based on the video game Street Fighter 2, which was, in the 90s, the early 90s, just this runaway massive phenomenon. It would was like the... Uh, it was like Mortal Kombat for smart kids. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I guess Primal Rage would have been like Mortal Kombat for... for dumb uh, kids? For, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, or even dumber kids. Um... But Street Fighter was an adaptation as a video game movie, and it came out the same year as the first Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat's not a great movie, but I but it is a masterpiece compared overall to Street Fighter. And it actually mostly is, um, I mean, like in comparison, it's true to the game, unlike Street Fighter, which I'm like it didn't even utilize the main characters as the main characters because. The main characters of the Street Fighter franchise is Ryu and Ken. And they make Guile, who's up one of the main supporting characters, the main character. And then they make a guy that's not even American, this American, super American character that has an American flag tattooed on his arm. He's, and, a, he's a really proud immigrant. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, I guess that's the way they were, they were I, approaching it. I guess that's exactly what they were doing, but... Uh, Kylie Minogue's in this is Cammy, which is kind of weird casting. Again. Yeah, this was uh, I think at the the height of her first bit of fame. Now, uh, I, I'm I'm having trouble remember. Is it Ming Na? Yeah, Ming Na Wen is Ming, in this. Yeah, I was, was having trouble remembering her name. Barely aged into 27 years, like, 28 years since. Yeah, this movie. that's so fr- freaking amazing that she's like not only still got a career, but like her career is stronger now. And like you say, she's yeah. Doesn't seem like she's aged. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I mean, you look at her in Street Fighter to like say now with the Mandalorian, and you look at Jean Claude Van Damme from then to now. Jean Claude Van Damme aged like twenty years within like three years. It seemed yeah. like. So, do you want to guess at the age difference between Ming Na Wen and Jean Claude Van Damme? Uh. Just based on how they look now. Based on how they look? Yeah, now. Jean-Claude Van Damme's 50 years older than uh, Ming Na Wen. He's four years older than her. Well, I was just saying <laughs> if we're going off looks. Looks, but in, in actual physical terms, he's he's four years older. Uh, he's probably the poster boy for Don't Do Coke. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's just baffling. And if you watch these movies in order, or even like a smattering of them, 
in order, you'll notice like between Bloodsport, which was 1988, where Van Damme looks like a man in his 20s, he goes to Time Cop, which was only six years later, and he looks like a man in his mid-40s. Yeah. And, I mean, you could say, like, oh, they put some makeup on him to age him up. It's like, they didn't need to do that. Nah. He looked haggard and, like, he had been run over on the worst street imaginable. Um, and, I mean, he's he's been frank about it, uh, his problems with cocaine. And there was a really long article um, published uh, probably about seven <coughs> years ago about the making of Street Fighter and everything going on. And it's just insane. I think this was would have been the height of his stardom yeah and i think the end of that yeah i think this was that like it's the beginning of the decline well this was the biggest this this was a property this was yeah. you know we're adapting something and so the, which I, th I i i may be wrong but i think part of it may be because of the fact that like don't get me wrong this movie is a, a movie that's fun to watch to laugh at but like overall I feel like Street Fighter fans were let down, and then people who were fans of martial arts movies were let down because there was like barely any martial arts in this movie. Yeah, I mean, action fans. I mean, like there's, there's a sequence with boats that is just really poorly done. Uh, I mean, I I can't really say who wasn't let down. I mean, uh, I mean like, well, people who like laughing at it, like me, like I mean, like Raul Julia's kids, which he made um, the movie for, but like. It came out, like, a week before he died, so yeah. I'm pretty sure they were let down by it. Yeah. Um, he's great. He's fantastic. He is, by far, I, like, the best part of the movie. If if there is ever a textbook case of somebody not phoning it in. And actually, there's other characters that I, uh, I think were done within, you know, this movie really well. Like, I think uh, um, Vega, even though it's, like, all visual... I think that was executed well. I think Sagat having West Studi play in him was actually very entertaining. Um, I got a lot of enjoyment out of Zangief. I'm not going to say he was done very well, but like the whole quick change the channel part, like that, that gets a laugh out of me every time I watch it. Which, I mean, I think it kind of harkens back to what you said in the Labyrinth episode that like just big dumb things are fun. Yeah, yeah I like big, <laughs> and, big dumb things. And... He's he's big and dumb, uh, but yeah, it all comes back to Raul Julia. I mean, if there was anybody that ever had an excuse to phone anything in, he's like, this is a a award winning, you know, Tony winning actor, you know, high caliber thespian, mm -hmm. dying of cancer, doing this because his kids like the game. Yeah, the the whole production is a mess, and not only does he not phone it in. He devours the scenery. Yeah. Uh, he's easily the most quotable thing in the movie. He's the best thing about the movie. And and if you really think about it, because the movie tries to present uh, Guile as the main character, but if you really watch this movie, you feel like Chun-Li's the main character watching it. Because... I feel like M. Bison is the main character. Well, I'm, I'm just talking about uh, people fighting Bison. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Guile is pretty uninteresting in a movie and he I, he has like like a uh, reason you know behind that you know going after bison which is his friend who 
also becomes Blanca for some reason. That's nah, but uh, <laughs> but if you look at like Chun Li, like especially like whenever she's talking to Bison about you know how she spent all the years training and everything, I'm like, she's clearly the hero of this movie. If you really or what should have been the hero of this movie from yeah, it makes me wonder if uh, if they knew about Van Damme's problems. And this was their backup. Maybe. But, I mean... Because, <clears throat> uh, I mean, truthfully... They, they made Ryu and Ken into jokes in this movie. Well, uh, and the more I think back on it, most of of his stuff could have been cut down very much so and replaced with more Chun-Li stuff very yeah. easily. Because even his motivation, his, his friend Blanca... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think they share a scene together until do, do they ever at maybe the at very the very end? end yeah so i mean like so much of it's him talking to raul julia via television yeah there there's really van damme feels like a very special guest star that doesn't actually affect the plot until the end yeah because i definitely feel like the plot is really driven by chun li because she's the one like chasing down and everything so it's like, yeah, I, 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 I feel like he, even though Van Damme's a star and he gets the main fight with yeah Bison, I don't think he is the main character. It's unraveling in your mind, isn't it? What the Street Fighter? Yeah. Well, I mean, it unraveled already, but I mean, it's uh, it, like I said, I think this was the uh, this was start of the end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he went from the VHS King to, to you know, decent and stardom. He was bankable. I'm, I'm not wanting to, uh, again, touch on everything, but I will say the movie that I do think put the final nail in the coffin that really made it where he was unbankable, which is The Quest. The Quest. Which, which is basically a remake of Bloodsport, but... Higher production value, but worse all around. Yeah, and... That came... Actually, and I don't even know if I like the term higher production value for it. They spent more money. Let's just say that. Okay. They spent more money. It, it, it's not better looking. It's not better in any way other than they spent more money. Which, in between, and we'll touch on this, uh, and you could tell from the red font, his name's not quite bigger than the, the title. Yeah. But with Sudden Death, and that was going back to basics, you know, yeah. meat and potatoes, action... Um, I don't think that went anywhere. Uh, in fact, I believe that came out during uh, one of those big snowstorms and nobody went to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the quest, yeah, that was, um, I mean, the plot, I mean, aside from the initial setup, you know, his background, cause clearly it's not Frank Dukes this time, but it's like, it's I, just as fictional though. Yeah. But the, uh, the, the background's a little different. Like he's. I can't even remember. It was like he was on the streets. Or I can't even remember. It was ridiculous. Oh, my and God. And he got paired up with uh, James Bond, Roger Moore. Well, here's the thing. I just read some stuff on the quest that I'm sure you didn't know. You weren't privy to. Okay. Who's the director of the quest? Please tell me it's Frank Dukes. No. Oh. Uh, I don't know who. Jean-Claude Van Damme. This was actually produced by Edward R. Pressman, who was the producer on Street Fighter. So apparently his uh, interactions with Van Damme weren't as nightmarish as other people's. 
But yeah, Van Damme uh, is the credited director on the quest. Story co-written by Jean-Claude Van Damme and Frank Dukes. Which doesn't surprise me. So here you go. You know, all your uh, your comparisons to Bloodsport and being worse. And, and, and what is my theory on this, just based off hearing this? Frank Dukes wanted more money off of his fake story. Frank Dukes sued Jean-Claude Van Damme over the writing credits of the movie, claiming that Van Damme and he wrote the story under the title The Kumite Enter the New Dragon in 1991. So apparently this was something that was kicking around, like, somewhere. But uh, either way, the quest didn't work. Uh, it was a pretty colossal failure and I think and there's some neat fight scenes in it but that's about it yeah but this this was the end of his bankability this was the total end of that and not saying that the movies directly after are bad or good or whatever but it's like nobody went to watch them like before he wasn't bankable anymore no because I mean um, as we said before he played twins in Double Impact that wasn't the last time he played twins uh, went back to more meat and potatoes action Maximum Risk, where he plays twins once more. Uh, and then there was a lot of gimmick movies. Like uh, Double Team. With Double Team, which was Dennis Rodman. Uh, knockoff, which felt like a knockoff of Rush Hour. And I've never seen Legionnaire, but part of me wonders if this was another kind of grab at like a story like Lionheart, because he was a Legionnaire in Lionheart. But I, I've not seen this movie, so I don't know the plot. Um, I, I do remember... Um, one of the main things that stuck out about Legionnaire was that it had a very short theatrical window, and it was uh, it went to VHS like really, really yeah. fast, uh, intentionally. Um, but yeah, Knockoff. Have you ever seen Knockoff? I don't think I have. No. Uh, the trailers ran. It came out around the same time as Rush Hour. Um, oh, okay. And the idea of like martial arts star with a comedian, uh, except. I guess your miles may vary on Chris Tucker. My miles vary very much. <coughs> but I, it's hard to... Uh, no, Rob Schneider? Yeah, Rob, Rob Schneider is the comedic sidekick. Okay, I might want to watch it then. So, yeah, oh, Paul Servino is in this thing. Uh, is directed by uh, Hawk Su, mm. who is a Hong Kong director who directed a lot of really good uh martial arts movies over there i'm kind of surprised looking at this um so yeah well i do feel like there was a bit of interest slightly peaked towards john claude van damme whenever he did that sequel to uh universal soldier because which was the next one and I, I it didn't peak much but i do remember that people like oh is van damme making a comeback sort of vibe and then it's like nah no, I mean, that one got promoted quite a bit, and yeah. there had already been, like, several... And Michael Jai White was really good in that. I can't remember if they were direct-to-video or direct-to-cable Universal Soldier sequels, but Universal yeah. Soldier The Return essentially is Universal Soldier 2 and not the one yeah. that came out. Like, it's a direct sequel to the original. It's starring him. Um, I saw it once. And thought this isn't as good as the first one. Nah, it's not nowhere near as good. But I, I did really enjoy Michael Jai White in that movie. 
And from then, it's essentially... If, like a whole bunch of... If Redbox had been yeah. around, he would have been the Redbox. And like this one describes his career. In Hell, Derailed. In Hell, Derailed. Yeah, both uh, of them. There was a movie, Replicant, where he played his own clone. Um, actually, I used to have this joke that, you know, you could... Like when somebody's career is going, you know, down the drain, you can look at the titles of the movie to represent where their career is. Until death. Um, but then he did JCVD, which I still haven't seen, and I, I I've seen it. It's um, it's a very meta. He plays a version of himself. Yeah. Uh, addressing you know his career, you know, going off the rails are being derailed. Yeah. Um, going back to Belgium, um, and he gets caught up in a hostage crisis, and, you know, he's like, no, I'm an actor. But it's him, first of all, putting in a performance. He's, you can see all of, the, you know, the, the age on his face at this point, and he actually plays into that. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. It's not very action-packed um and it's essentially if you take out like the heist elements and everything the hostage taking it's a movie about a movie star whose star has faded mostly due to his own choices mm -hmm. um I, I think it's good it's not great um but it it did, did take a was it a bit of a turning point? I felt like you know where, uh, not a renaissance, but people kind of looking, yeah, at him more fondly, because <clears throat> he he started getting not just more work, but more work that referenced himself. He, he did yeah. voice work for Robot Chicken. He did voices in the Kung Fu Panda movies. But I feel like he really didn't. Um, get a true comeback till Expendables two. Wasn't I mean he was good in it. Yeah, but, but it, every, it didn't lead I to think anything. It may not have led to anything, but I feel like that movie got people talking about him again. Then of course you had that thing where they had the green screen footage where everybody could edit their own John Claw Van Damme stuff. I remember that. And then you had some straight to video kickboxers with which were after the other kickboxers. Which were actually, uh, the first one was basically a remake where Van Damme played the Zian character. But yeah, I mean, pretty much that summarizes his career. Um, yeah, it was it was starting from small parts and a guy that was physically impressive to kind of the, the canon mold of just very basic action with a guy that had a lot of physical charisma which worked for canon with uh chuck norris mm -hmm. uh and it worked really well and it wasn't just canon making those movies but it worked really well with van damme uh he does have a lot more screen presence mm -hmm. and if there's anything that he he did keep over the years it was screen presence and a lot more than say steven seagal going back to expendables like just like he was in my opinion, the best villain that series had. Like, uh, I think that the character, you just couldn't take your eyes off of him. It was great. Um, and I I legitimately think Jean-Claude became a good actor. Yeah, he did. Like, a really ridiculously good actor, I mean, compared to what he started at. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, he easily could have coasted. He could have done the Steven Seagal route, uh, which he was always better than Seagal. I don't care what anybody wants yeah. to say. You're wrong. Well, anybody who thought that Seagal was better is not smart. Yeah, I mean, Seagal's knees don't bend. Yeah. Uh, and, like, I'm, I'm saying acting, martial arts, whatever, Van Damme's better all around. Yeah, I, I just... Uh, I, I just don't don't like Seagal. No, we'll and, do we'll do some stuff on Seagal, but it's only going to be on a handful of his movies. And it, it, it is going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, it's just going to be us shitting on Seagal the whole time. I'm up oh, for speaking that. of which, like uh, I think that um, Stallone had said that there was almost like an altercation between Van Damme and Seagal, like at a party of his. That's something that doesn't surprise me. That's that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I think it, Van Damme's got. To me, he's interesting because he's the the big star that almost was. Yeah, like he never quite. Well, no, I mean he was a big star. Like there's no almost was. He was like one of the biggest stars in the world. I'm I'm talking about. He seemed like he was always on the edge of being that Arnold or Stallone level. Which I don't super think he was, mega star. I don't he, think he was far from it. The box office receipts. Box think office. He was pretty far from it. Uh, I mean, he had a string of movies that did well, but he just never got... And it always felt that, like, it would have taken one. One. One, you know, Total Recall or, you know, a Terminator or even, uh, I don't know, uh, a Rambo of some sort mm -hmm. that would have really kicked him into the stratosphere. And I, it could be twofold. I mean... The problems may have been his, and he does admit that, you know, personally he had a lot of problems, uh, especially with drugs. Um, and well, I think own. if he could have had, I'd say, a couple of more kickboxer, well, well main kickboxer blood sport style hits, he would have been bigger. Because I think they were, like, just these immediate out the gate, like, done really well. Well, I mean, that, that's what got him attention, and th those are mainly, like... Uh, video rentals yeah that, that that put his name in people's minds uh i remember there was you know i can't remember which movie it was is like it's like van damme means action yeah uh so they did a, a good job selling him uh and i think the other part of it was that he was about five years too late if if blood sport came out in 83 instead of 88 and his whole timeline had shifted by five years back because by the time He's really getting this push in Hollywood into these big budget, you know, studio films. The, well, I mean, obviously, chronologically, the 80s are over, but we've moved to Bruce Willis mm -hmm. as as the action star. We're, He's kind of the anti-action star or the anti-80s action star, yeah. action star. Uh, we've moved to things like Batman, mm -hmm. where we have Michael Keaton as an action star. So, uh, it's almost like... It's like he came in just a little, a little bit too late. A little bit too late, and I think he had enough charisma that it probably hadn't been for his own personal issues. And we haven't mentioned uh, uh, one thing that I was just thinking about, about him nearly being the Predator. Oh, yeah. And actually was there as the Predator for a lot of the filming. Yeah, he did film in a very ridiculous lobster-like suit. 
Mm. I actually like the uh, finished look of it. Do I like it better than what we got? No, but I liked it. Yeah, and I, I think there's an anecdote that he still, like, he just couldn't wrap his head around it because the, the actual suit they were using for, like, the invisibility things mm. was, like, it was all red and yeah. all pink. It was just weird. And Which, from what I understand, one of his reasons for wanting to drop had actually less to do with that and more to do with the impracticality and the dangerousness of the suit design. Yeah. Because he's kind of like on these stilted, backwards-leaning legs and supposed to be running around and doing all this, and it's yeah. just not practical for, for safety. Now, the other thing about that is that he's still in the movie. Yeah. But um, it's like blurs. It, well, any of the invisibility yeah. things where we see the Predator and he's in invisible yeah. mode... That silhouette is Van Damme and that's, in that costume. That's why, uh, it, if you like, pay attention to it, it actually looks like it's shaped different. Than yeah, he it. is. It is. It, and like, I, I've noticed that even since a little kid. I'm like, why does it look so different, even though it's invisible? Yeah, it's not shaped like the, yeah. the Predator that we actually physically see. It's it's Van Damme in the costume, uh, having been not digitally like scrub, but you know whatever effect they were yeah. compositing over that. But he's He's still there. Uh, I don't think he's credited at all, but some amount of footage that he shot was used mm -hmm. in the finished film. Um, and it's probably the biggest movie he was ever in. Um, uh, maybe something he had a cameo in him, Last Action Hero. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of weird, I guess, since we've been talking about Van Damme, kind of, I guess, preparing for this mentally. Um, there's like a lot of like really quirks that pop up in his career. Like he plays twins. Yeah. He plays physical twins twice. Um, he plays himself and a clone of himself in a movie. Mm -hmm. He plays two different time displaced versions of himself in time cop. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, you know, him playing himself, uh, which I mean, lots of people had cameo as the last action hero, but like he plays himself in, uh, JCVD or a version of himself. Yeah. Uh, plays himself in Jean Claude Van Johnson. Yeah. Uh, and then he's got tons of other cameos where he plays a version of himself. Um, the splits. He did that and he a even lot. did that in No Retreat, No Surrender. It's like because like I I I didn't realize that. Now I watch it. I mean he only, he doesn't. It's not as. Um, accented as it is in other things but he like does a split on the uh ropes in the ring like he gets in the corner and is like just splitting in the air yeah. on the ropes um but yeah i mean there, there's like some inter interesting uh trademarks and and i guess he you know like as i i've seen in the interview with uh david worth that someone else did not my interview i've seen that uh he said that Jean-Claude Van Damme brought sex appeal to martial arts. I wouldn't argue against that because, I mean, like, I've made the joke, and not really a joke, more of an observation, that of the uh, 80s, early 90s action stars, um, Arnold was the kid's favorite. Yeah. He was super larger than life. He had the fun voice, um, you know, sci-fi movies, that, you know, R-rated movies you weren't supposed to watch, but they were still fine for kids, I guess. Um, Van Damme was your mom's favorite action star. Mm. Uh, Not my mom's. Well, 
Okay, well, you, the theoretical mother, okay? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like, he had a lot of appeal with women, more so than, like, you know, Arnold or, or Stallone. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that leaves uh, Seagal as your horrible stepfather's favorite action star. Your drunk uncles. Your, your drunken, abusive uncles' <laughs> uh, favorite action star. But either way, like, yeah, I, I think that was accurate. Like, I remember women going nuts for Van Damme. Mm -hmm. and, and he's always showing his butt in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I mentioned, uh, Nowhere to Run was essentially, it's, it's got a romantic plot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... Here's Van Damme coming to, you know, it was definitely targeted at women. It's like, you're a single mom, you know, besieged by criminals. Well, this Van Damme looking drifter is going to come into your life and change it mm -hmm. and protect you. So, yeah, they were on the money. Um, they probably should have leaned into that harder, actually. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think he would have been strangely bankable in that role. But I think they were trying to force him into the Arnold like, you do some sci-fi, then you do some big-budget action, sci-fi action, you know, what have you. And it it ended up not working, mainly... I'll blame Street Fighter. I think Street Fighter... Had Street Fighter been done better and became, like, this massive, even franchise starting hit, like, to where they do another Street Fighter, you know... Like, I think that would have been the thing that would have made him just as big as Arnold. Which I still still argue, at least within the eyes of fans, he's not that far below. He's really far below. Not in the eyes of fans, maybe in the eyes of... Fans of, of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Well, I mean, action fans. Like, I think action fans put Van Damme up there. Like, okay. I don't think I've known a single action movie fan that's not a fan of Van Damme. I'm a fan of Van Damme, but I'm saying he is way below Arnold. I mean, and it's the fact he's missing those iconic characters. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian, the T-800, uh, John Matrix, even. Uh, I mean... Well, again, like... And it's all Arnold. Street Fighter would have probably been the thing for him had it gone different. Um, it could have. I think that if Cyborg was a different type of movie, that character could have been iconic for him. And maybe if it had been done at a time where he was a better actor. Yeah, because essentially he's, he's doing a Mad Max role. Yeah. I, I mean, I actually think that giving that movie a little bit better writing and a little bit more money. and It's canon. Probably, they weren't getting more money. Well, no, I'm just saying same type of idea. That could have been a role for him that would have been a bigger appeal than it was. Hmm. I mean, because hmm. like, like you said, it's basically mad max for yeah it's, it's a very mad max plot yeah. about at least as much as Waterworld is mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I i still can't get past like he feels like the guy that almost was and i don't mean like you know i guess in the terms like joseph gordon levitt now or a guy just i guess could have been a big star and then walked away uh i mean like van damme was just right there like, like you said, Street Fighter, if it would have either... I stand by, he was a big star. It's just yeah, he like, was a big star, but he yeah. could have been the biggest star. Yeah. That's, how, that, that's what I think I'm getting at. Yeah. Is he could have been that, that global, like, he's money in the bank just putting his name on, above the title. 
uh, and he never quite got to that. He was bankable for a while, but not as bankable as certain other stars of the time. Uh, Which I still say that, like, the the major de decline, it was right at immediately following Street Fighter. Yeah, and I will say that the earlier ones, especially everything before Street Fighter... Uh, it was like he was building up perfectly until yeah. he hit that. And uh, the early stuff holds up well. Um, everything from Bloodsport, from Bloodsport to Time Cop... Uh, and he, I argue No Retreat, No Surrender, because that movie is freaking great. Like, even though it's not because, really... You can't you can't argue that as a movie for him because he's really only in like two parts of it. But I mean, you go back and watch any of these. It's like his physicality is there. Uh, there's a charm to him that you know. I guess closest rival or comparison Steven Seagal certainly didn't have. Yeah. Um, physicality Seagal didn't have. Um, how is Seagal a star again? I just don't understand how that happened. Because he. Does some sort of martial arts. And, does he? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Aikido, which, I mean, he's a legit Aikido martial artist, but he, a lot of martial artists will argue the effectiveness of Aikido in a real situation. Okay, well, let's just take that out of the equation. He's boring to watch. Well, Aikido is not visually interesting. And I mean, well, I mean, really. I'm, I'm saying, like, Seagal is boring to watch. I don't think his knees bend. He's got all runs the, like a girl. He runs like a girl. He's got all, all the charm of a wife beater. Um, he's got all the humor of a funeral. Yeah. I, it's just anybody that puts Van Damme and Seagal in the same sentence better be saying Van Damme is worlds better than Seagal. Yeah. Well, is there anything else we want to say about Van Damme before we start wrapping up? Um, only, he's only 62. Mm -hmm. There's still time. I, I mean, as much as like, you know, he, he fell off and he always threatens to have a comeback. I really do think. I would love to see him have a major comeback. I, I think it's in him. I think he could do it. I mean, like, I think that it was close at, uh, at Expendables too. If, if there would have been a you know, follow up yeah, projects or something that would have been widely seen, but I would throw them in something. Yeah, in I, I still, I still have hope that you know he could have that comeback. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Tarantino will go insane and put him in a movie. Tarantino would be the one to give him that comeback. I'm, I mean, I, I don't think Tarantino would, but then again, you never know with Tarantino. No, but yeah, uh, Van Damme. I guess my my summary my, my closing thoughts is that uh i like van damme and i think he is due for more of a retrospective people kind of reappreciating what he brought, brought to the table because i mean you're watching these movies and he did turn into a punchline for a while um but they're really solid action movies and he's yeah. really great as an action actor uh i i can't even think of like anybody that like has that the look and the physicality uh in in one package and i think that's that's what brought him to the table um and the very fact that he he didn't give up and he actually became a, a pretty good actor yeah is kind of amazing he could have been churning out uh red box movies where he you know sticks his foot up or does a split and collects a paycheck but mm -hmm. he 
he didn't go that route either. So, and like all the stories that I've heard anybody like in interviews tell about him, it really sounds like John Claude's like a really friendly guy overall too. Like, unlike Seagal, who I get like a very different idea about. Like, cause I was just watching Michael Jai White talking about him, and he was talking about how much he loved Van Damme. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely uh, at the very least. I think the the window would be there for him to to at least come back. But hey, you don't know what the future holds. So yeah. maybe this time next year we're talking about uh, some movie Van Damme has done. And it's like wow, he was really good, and mm. I can't believe a guy his age. He's, he's you know, but never know. Yeah, and I absolutely love it whenever uh, older actors make comebacks. So I'm hoping this happens. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, go ahead and wrap this up. And, uh, like, I guess thank everybody for uh, watching. I want to thank uh, David Wartworth for uh, coming and, you know, doing the interview up here. God, and I'm going gonna, gonna to bring him on a future episode for sure. Oh, man. And hopefully I'll be able to be on the interview because uh, listening to him talk about, uh, you know, building lighting into the set and, Clint as you know the, the efficiency of Clint as a director and like it's like I'm talking about Kubrick I, I, yeah so and uh, guys make sure to um, to follow us on all avenues and and keep um, su suggest uh, suggest uh, movies you want us to cover or uh, actors you want us to cover or yeah what you would love to see on this show because uh, we're pretty much just doing what we want we want to know what you want so tell us what to bring to this show so we can, you know, bring more. We did content. discuss doing what they want, huh? When you never discuss doing what they want with me. The fucking movie podcast.